Hey, so uh, thanks for joining us for another episode of Insightful Accountants Accounting Insiders. I'm Gary D. Hart, publisher of Insightful Accountant. I am joined by Cashflow Mike. You may know him as Mike Milan. He's with Truly Financial. And it is Milan, or is the right way to say it, right? It's actually Milan, right? Milan. So it's okay. Milan. Uh, I need to make sure I say it right. Get Gary, there's a song. I teach all my friends a song. <laughs> you probably already know it. Right, this land is your land, my land. There we go. I'll remember that. Now. There you go. Now you should always know it. Yes, I got you covered. So, but you know him as Cashflow Mike. I mean, that's yeah. It's in his book, and his book is the Seven Minute Conversation. Actually, has two books: Seven Minute Conversation and Don't Be a Dumb Business Owner. So we're going to talk primarily about Seven Minute Conversation. But before we dive into that, I always have a trick question. Not really a trick question, but a fun question. Who is your favorite cartoon character? See, now, you, you even give me a head start, and I still got to think about it. But <laughs> uh, you know what? I think it's Mighty Mouse. Mighty Mouse. Yeah, think about it. That's the one nobody really goes to. They That's don't true. go to him. He's kind of underwhelming a little bit. He's just a mouse. Right. But the song always sticks in my head. Huh? He's Mighty. I don't remember the song. Here oh, Mighty I Mouse. come to save the day. Oh, that was him? Yeah, Mighty awesome. Mouse is on the way. Mine's <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> Bugs Bunny. And then last week, yeah. I think it was uh, somebody last week, I can't remember who it was, pulled out Speedy Gonzalez. Oh, yeah. I'm like, ah, yeah. Uh, gotta one. like some Speedy Gonzalez. Of course. So, of course. all right. I'm not sure what that has to do with the seven minute <laughs> conversation. <laughs> so, we're going to end this so it doesn't become a 30 minute conversation about Mighty Mouse. Um, but tell us a little bit about yourself because in your book, talk about you were a state trooper, state trooper, and a few other things. Oh. So, how'd you end up here in the wonderful land of accounting? Technology. I, I, I've got to tell you that I've had people ask me, they say, how do I get to be what you're doing? I'm like, yeah, you can't get there from here. Right. <laughs> I mean, again, you start off as a state trooper. My, fi my family outgrew my income, so I had to go use this thing called an MBA, right? right. Writing a student loan check. I'm like, going, hmm, I should probably use that. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, so I, I started a business, and uh, over the last 25 years, I've built 14 companies, and that's just kind of how it evolved. I think once they become something, uh, I think most people flip properties. I started flipping companies. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of what happened. And that's what you do best, right? That's your yeah. course. What you like to do is kind of start up, get them running and yeah. moving, and then move on to the next one. As soon as they put rules in, then I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> so what, like, what's the range of businesses? Like, What types of businesses? You know, I started out with a janitorial company, okay. um, and, and that actually morphed into a hotel staffing company, whereas uh, I had more clients that just wanted people and less to do the work. They had their own management staff, but they were having trouble finding uh, housekeepers or people to wash dishes in the kitchen or do landscaping or just tasks that people have to do. Uh, so I became a, a staffing company. Uh, and I opened 27 offices in nine states in uh, about three years. Had about 500 people working. I was a preferred vendor for Marriott, so that's kind of how it just really grew. Like uh, when you become a preferred vendor, People just call you, right? And you're like, going, hey, we're, we're in Tucson. Would you like to be in Tucson, by the way? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so uh, we grew that way, and then I ran into a receivables problem, right? So all of this cash flow Mike started with that hotel staffing company, whereas, you know, every two weeks I had to make payroll. Sure. People right? like to get paid. And they'd love to get paid. Guess what? Marriott doesn't like to pay as fast <laughs> right. as I have to pay, right? <laughs> I would think they would like be the first ones in line. Yeah. Right? Well, it, it was an interesting thing, right? Because my, my Payable days, it would take them between 60 and 75 days on average to pay an invoice. Well, you know, every 14 days for me is, is making a payroll payment. Uh, so I went to 
you know, I went, I went to him saying, listen, I, I don't know how to solve this problem. I don't want to, I, I'm running to a park where I just can't extend my line of credit more and more and more. I said, you got to stop treating people like paper towels, right? The invoice is different. Start looking at your people invoice, your staffing invoice, more like payroll. Uh, and, and the people took it to heart. And I went from 60, 75 days getting paid down to 45. And just that 15, 20 days made a huge difference in the cash flow. Right. A lot yeah. of stress off of them. Yeah, exactly right. And you. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. And so was that the biggest? Was it 500 employees? That, that, that was the largest, right? Okay. But I was still trying to solve a cash problem. So uh, uh, I was living at cash-based businesses, something where I didn't have to give a receivable and wait for money. Uh, so I looked at flower shops. I looked at uh, motor tail, motorcycle uh, r- repair shops. I settled on a bar and grill. Now, I, I never had the big, you know, some people want to be in the bar business. It, it wasn't for me, you know, especially after being a trooper for so long. Uh, but I bought one because it had cash every day. Then I uh, built a bar because it was actually throwing off a lot of cash. Then I bought a building with a bar in it. So then I owned a hotel staffing <laughs> company, three bars. And uh, then I had a building that I had subsidized housing. People could live in and I could just give them lower rents and they could work for me and, 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 and those type of things. Then I bought nine more buildings to rent out. <laughs> so, and that, that was the biggest part of it. I ran all five of those businesses, the property management, the three bar restaurants and the hotel staffing company all is one, right? Five LLCs, one reporting entity. Okay. Yeah. And they all had one thing in common, cash flow. Cash flow. Right? All of them had cash flow. Cash flow. Uh, exactly. and, and so when did you, I didn't look, when did you write these two books? COVID. Okay. Lots <laughs> <laughs> of things happened during COVID. And, and the thing is, I had already built, uh, with, with, with Finograph when I was there, I'd already built a, uh, a training program called the Clear Path to Cash. Okay. And it was eight, that, yeah, it was eight steps to maximizing cash. And it was a two-day seminar that I did for a lot of banks around the country. Uh, and I trained probably almost 30,000 bankers, accountants, and small business owners over about a 10-year period. And it was on that clear path to cash. Uh, And I'm like, I should just turn that into a book. And that's what don't be a dumb business owner is. And it's not dumb like unintelligent. It's dumb like don't understand my business, right? And that's kind of the whole premise of it. But it is the clear path to cash uh, is what it is. So I wrote that during COVID. um, And I didn't intend to write two books. I I got to chapter three (laughs) in the first book. I'm like going... I can't make this short enough. Like, it could probably stand on its own. So if you look at the seven-minute conversation, it's really an expansion of Chapter 3, uh, the Home Run Financial System. Okay. In, in yes, I did the, recognize that, actually, because I think I did make it that far. I think that's the last chapter I got to. So I read Seven Minute First and then the other one second. Yeah. I think, I've already read this. probably skip that. But, <laughs> um, well, because I read them back-to-back. So I yeah, just sure. read the first sure. one. So like, all right, I, can, I can skip that chapter. Okay. And I like in there you talk about a quarterly or a weekly, quarterly, annual process. Right. Can you, like, what would that look like? And again, think of our primary audience really is the pro advisor, the accounting professional, small business advisor. And kind of prior to us going live, we talked about the, I don't know if it's a reluctance of a lot of the community, again, being the public accounting community, who aren't CPAs, even CPAs. We don't, a lot of times don't want to give advice mm. and, and don't want to set up these processes or don't help set up the processes. But I think for them long term, they have to get into that habit as an advisor to truly start giving some real advice. Right. And clients are going to go somewhere else. 
It, you know, it's really interesting. I think this is my 12th scaling of heights, and it's just that, what you said, there's a reluctance. Not a reluctance because there's not a will to do it. Right. It's more about uh, the confidence to take what I've done over the past, you know, all your career, which is transactional, right? I know transactions. I know this gets, you know, uh, you know, attached to asset, and that's a liability, and that's an equity piece. You know, they, they can understand that. But once you move past it, it's a new realm. It's like going into a new field, right? Yeah. Like going, what's out there? I don't know. I don't know. So being able to interpret what you're seeing is new territory. And having the confidence to say, man, I don't want to mess up their business. If I tell them the wrong thing, I might cause more problems than right. solve. Right? That's that's the confidence thing. That's why I wrote the books. That's why I do the training courses. That's why I have the free resources on cashflowmike.com is let's start building confidence. Let's start having conversations about if you see these things, here are the next steps. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what the next evolution for advisory services is, is more tools to say, oh, if current ratio is low, adjust these two things yeah. you know, in my daily business. Yeah, and you have to stay on top of it. And as a small business owner, I mean, we're we're probably a, a dumb business owners in that we're so in the business, yeah. right? And I don't know who coined it, but in it versus on it, you're working sure. in it versus on it. Um, it takes up a lot of time. It takes up, and, and in order to make that process work, you have to take the time and build the process. And for me, I know what I'm looking for from a, my accountant is somebody who will set that process up and help us understand, which I can look at it and understand generally what's going on with my business, but they have skill sets and knowledge that I don't necessarily, I mean, that I don't have. Right. And don't spend, you know, hours on learning. Yeah. I mean, again, I've done it long enough now. I, I know where we stand, but also, you kind of read these things, like what you've some of the things you've written, and think about. Um, you know, when I look at our receivables, we've got some pretty big numbers, and I don't mind that. But I, but I do know that that's not the best place for my cash mm -hmm. to be sitting in somebody else's bank sure. account. But it's also kind of nice knowing, hey, well, they do owe me money, and unlikely I'm going to get it. But right. um, but there's definitely a negative side to that. So, so what would that process, weekly, quarterly, annual process? What should that look like ideally? Yeah, all right. So for, from my point of view, uh, I always look at weekly. What we talk about is prime cost, right? What things cost versus what, what I'm selling them for. So is my pricing strategy correct? Uh, I always looked at labor hours from a, a different standpoint, which is what's productive or billable hours versus what's unproductive hours. And I tried to make that around 80%, right? So in a 2,000-hour year, right, 2,080 hours in a year for 40 hours a week, about 1,800 of them should be billable productive hours, right? When I'm out there staffing people. Okay. I've got training, I've got vacations, I've got things like that have to go into it. But if I'm not managing that every single week, right? at the end of the year, I might have 50% productive hours and I'm just paying for, well, whatever, unproductive. Right. So uh, that was what I managed there. And, and, and the other thing was on when I had the restaurants and bars, it was the prime cost of what I was selling things for. And then it's portion control, right? You, know, right. you want to make sure that, Everything that you're selling, your cost of goods sold is in line with your pricing strategy or you're going to lose money. Yeah. So those are the things that are weekly, the things that actually cost you money by doing the job that you do. From a monthly perspective, it's more about expense control, right? Which is everything it takes to run my business. Is that in line with my, what my plan was? And there's, there's a rule that, you know, I use. It's called the expense control rule. It's the one rule to, uh, that rules them all, which is when... 
gross profit is shrinking, when you start to see you're having less dollars because you have less sales or otherwise, you should reduce operating expense the exact same amount or mirror the change in your gross profit. Yeah. And I'll say it a little bit more simply, which is gross profit is the amount of money you have to spend. Mm -hmm. Operating expense is how you spend it. When you have less money to spend, you should spend less money. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but but that's what you're managing monthly, right? Yeah. I have less to spend, so I spend less. Yeah. And on a yearly basis, I start looking at more things uh, from the health, which is how much debt have I taken on? You know, uh, what, what's my current ratio and quick ratio and those type of things, which is do I actually have enough cash to run the business on a, on a daily basis? But that's kind of how I set it up from a, a bird's eye view in the, right. in the year to a really granular view every week. Yeah, and again, an advisor yeah. should be doing that for their clients on a, you know, whether it's weekly, quarterly, annual, probably all of them, right? Yeah. If they really want to be an advisor, because that's, in, in my opinion, that's the job. It's it's taking over that lead role from the accounting perspective. Right. Hey, dude, you don't have any cash left. What are you going to do? You know, I mean, it, yeah. let's hope we don't get there. And so now let's bounce over to the one of your old mentors, I guess, said, control what you can control. Right. And a lot of that is what you just talked about, right? Expenses, number one, we can easily control that. Right. Uh, there's things we can't control, but how do we, how do you wrestle as a, as a small business owner or as the advisor to a small business? How do you keep focused on controlling what you can control? Well, I, I tell you what, that was, I, I called it and I wrote a blog article that said, this is the best business advice I ever got. And it's because early on when I was in staffing, there were things I couldn't control. I couldn't control some of the labor laws that were out there. I couldn't yeah. control, you know, uh, some of the ways that people came into our recruiting pipelines and stuff like that. I can control a lot of it, but I couldn't. But I started to get overwhelmed with the changes in laws and immigration laws and things that you had to report, you know, through the federal government and otherwise. And it was overwhelming. It was stressful. I that's when he told me that, right? It, you know, I got 500 employees, and, and really that ends up being... 2,000 employees over a year because of turnover. Okay. Right? Yeah. 500 actively working, but then you got turnover, so you're, you're constantly replacing. Well, it gets a little overwhelming. So he said, control what you can control. And what I found out there was, I can just control that every person we hire is doing things right. They look right. They have the right paperwork. They, you know, are right. meeting all the requirements to, to work. And that's where it started. Just go, okay, I can't worry about what the government does. I can't change it. Can't yep. do anything about I it. I can change that for I sure. I just have to play by the rules. Well, that carries over to everything else, right? Uh, if I can negotiate better pricing on products, I do it because I can control that. But if they give me that price, then I have to control what I can control is my price to the consumer. Yeah. If I have to pay $5 and I want to make, you know, double that, I have to charge 10 I can't just keep a $7 price if they're keeping uh, their price from at $5. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have to figure out which levers do you control because this is ultimately a machine. You just have to figure out which lever you have to pull at what time. And that's that's what advisory is. Yep. What lever do I touch at what time? And how do I, yeah. And, and then how do I implement that at my client level? That's really, again, knowing the community, mm -hmm. being part of the community mm -hmm. almost as long as you, um, I think. Um, it, it just does. It just seems to be this reluctance that shouldn't be there because they are incredibly intelligent. They're incredibly well-versed in accounting. They understand it. And there's, but there does seem to be a little bit of a void of, of taking that next step. Oh, I'm not a CPA, so I don't want to give advice. Well, I don't even, I think you can even, 
give advice without giving advice, right? Hey, here's best practices. Mm -hmm. I'm not giving advice, but I'm just saying, look, this is the best practices, or I know ADP now has, as part of their accountant connect or whatever their program is called, they've got benchmarking that's included in it. Yeah. You put one client on ADP, you get this benchmarking, which is incredibly good data that you can take to your clients and say, hey, I know you're in restaurants and here's 50 restaurants in your area and their numbers are here, your numbers are there in a negative way. Um, we need to work on it. And yeah. just using those resources, I just, I, I hope our community can get to that. Well, you know what I like about the industry averages? Th those are seed players, yeah. right? I should at least be average. So it at least gives you a baseline to what you could be. Yeah, right? that's a really good and point. Just knowing that number is like going, okay, we're here. At least be here. This is what the average person is, and I'd like to think you're better than average. Yeah, that's a really good point. So your home run lineup, um, is this putting you on the spot, trying to remember the home uh, run lineup? Got you nailed. got that, that got one I've that got. One nailed. All right. So I've got to look at trends. Are we talking about market trends, or are we talking about trends in my business? I, I look at uh, four things. All right, so the home learn lineup is called that because it touches all the bases, yep. right? The income statement, the balance sheet, and the cash flow statement, okay. right? So this one specifically targets the income statement, and I look at four different trends. And I'll go either over three or four or five months, five quarters, five years, it doesn't matter, but it's shown me a trend over that amount of time. But I look at sales, gross profit, operating expense and net profit, just those four. And with those, I look at the relationship between them. Some people go, oh, sales are up 10%, right? Yeah. Net profit's down 3%. Well, I look at the relationship. Do I expect that? Because I expect sales and gross profit to move the same. So if mm -hmm. sales are up, I expect gross profit to be up. If it's not, that's a big ding, ding, right. ding. There's a problem. Go. Yeah. yeah. Or, or it could be something great, right? Because if sales went up and gross profit went up, or sales came down and gross profit went up, they went opposite, that's a good thing, believe it or not. Sales are down, gross profit's up. I'm doing less work, making right. more money. Yeah. Right. So I start looking at the relationship uh, between these because it points me to what I need to look at or fix. That's the big part about advisory is saying, okay, if I see the relationships between the numbers, it points me to the answer. Mm -hmm. Look here, the problem is here. In that case, it'd be cost to get sold because that's between sales and gross profit. Right. Okay. Expense control, we've kind of touched on that already. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, but it's critical, right? Because it is within your control. It is. It's, uh, you know, and the whole rule is the change in operating expense should mirror the change in gross profit. Yeah. And I like that. Debt, debt to equity. Yeah. This one's kind of cool, right? Because yeah. this one is where you and your accountant and banker are all kind of on the same team. But if you really listen to your accountant or your banker, they give you opposite advice at the same time, right? Because they have different interest. Right? They have different motivations, yeah. right? The banker wants to give you a loan, so he needs your equity to be higher. The accountant wants you to pay less tax, so by paying less tax, you pay tax on income, which gets put on the balance sheet in the form of equity. Yeah. So you pay less tax, but you also have less equity. So yeah. by, uh, they're both right, they're just never right at the same time. Right. Right. So if you need a loan, you're going to have to pay more tax and get your equity up. Gotcha. And then the EBITDA long-term debt yeah, it's funny, right? Nobody's calling their accountant going, uh, uh, hey, what's my EBITDA Let's today, right? Let's give up my EBITDA. <laughs> so, I've got my second cup of coffee. I'm ready. Yeah, so EBITDA, uh, EBITDA can be used a couple different ways. Most business owners don't know how to use it. It's a substitute word for cash flow that the banks use, Okay. right? Now, EBITDA, though, is a, uh, it, it levels the playing field, right? Because what it does is it takes out 
all of the effects of management decisions from financing perspective, debt or equity, yep. or, or accounting perspective, what depreciation methods we use. So when you add back in interest and taxes and, and depreciation and amortization, it doesn't matter what methods you use or if you had debt or equity financing. It makes every company look the same from yep. a cash perspective. Right, so that's the first part of it. And people go, who cares? They don't, it, it's only for bankers. Well, the way you can use it is, on average, a bank will lend you up to three times EBITDA. Now, they've got some special sauce, and every chief credit officer has got kind of their way of, of dealing with it. But if you take your EBITDA times three, and we'll say that's a million dollars, you know that I can probably not ask for $2 million, because mm -hmm. they only give me about a million. Most people don't know what to ask for. They don't know how much they can get. Well, that's kind of the first you know, check in the sand is okay. uh, I can get almost three times EBITDA. Okay. And I think you explained that really well in the book, by the way. Um, and again, we're not here to sell books, but it really, <laughs> I mean, I read it. I'm like, this is a really good explanation because, again, aware of it, aware of the terms, you know, read it here, read it there. But the, your explanation, I thought, was, was spot on. And it was, it was understandable. Well, th right? Thank you. And because a lot of times stuff doesn't come across as understandable. Yeah. Um, so mismatched assets. Yeah, mismatched financing uh, is what I'm talking about there. So okay. mismatched financing, this is one where people go, what are you talking about? First of all, it is one of the silent killers of, of cash flow, and it, it's a killer of business because it robs your business of, of cash through interest, extra interest. Okay. And when I talk about misfinanced uh, assets or misfinanced uh, mismatched financing, yep. it's using the wrong loan product to buy something. Right. Okay. So, I mean, you, you wouldn't buy a house with a credit card. Right. Right. Why? Because it's 16% interest. Get the points. Yeah. You get <laughs> right? You get just all kinds of points you out of it. You get a half a million points. It's going to be amazing. Right. It's going to be worth like $3. <laughs> but it's a, it's a, you got, you know, 16% interest versus three yeah. or four or whatever it is. That, that's why. So the rule in financing is this. It's, it's the length of the loan should match the life of the asset. So if I can depreciate something for seven years, yep. I should use a seven-year term loan to finance it. So that way, when I'm done paying it off, depreciation ends at the same time, and I'm ready to renew or upgrade right. or, or, or take advantage of that. So uh, that's the rule. And some people don't do that. They'll use their line of credit, you know, higher interest rate to yep. buy something that they can depreciate. The way to fix it, super simple. Go to the bank, say, hey, I messed up. I used this. And they'll flip it out. They'll take it off the balance of your line of credit, which you need to run your business, and convert it to a term loan. You don't take on new debt. You just pay lower interest. Right. And they'd probably love to do that because now they've got you out there for two, right? And two accounts. That's right. That's right. So, okay. And then cash flow activity. Yeah, okay. So that people mean? don't know how to use the cash flow statement, right? Uh, and it's the tattletale of the business. It tells everybody where your money came from yep. and where it goes. <laughs> and what I've done is I've looked at, I look at the three main sections, operating activities, investing activities, and financing activities. And I just look at the net result. Is it a positive number or a negative number? So I, I make a three symbol pattern, plus minus minus, meaning mm -hmm. operating was a positive number, investing was a negative, and financing was a negative. And then I built a legend to interpret that. So if you keep them in that order, operating, investing, and financing, there's only eight combinations that they could be. Okay. So when you put it there and go to the legend, the legend will say operating expenses, you know, are up. That means your core business is generating, uh, generating cash. Investing activities are down. That means you're reinvesting back into your business. That means I've used money uh, to reinvest mm -hmm. or buy assets. And uh, financing activities are also down, 
which means you're paying back dividends or you're giving money back to your uh, you know shareholders somehow or paying down debt on the long term yeah. side. So there, it, it just kind of tells on you. But I give people all the words to say to a business owner. So you look, especially in the home run lineup, yeah. on how to tell somebody more about their business in seven minutes. Okay. Fantastic. All right. So I told you I was going to challenge you on dollar amount versus percentage. And you chuckled when you talked about percentages earlier. <laughs> so in your book, you say, well, you can't spend percentages. Yeah. Right. And so if you're saying, hey, we're up 10%, well, you should say we're up $100,000. Right. I mean, if that's the number. Um, so what, what's the what's the rationale there? Uh if you, if you notice everything, the way I write my books, it's about how to talk to the business owner that isn't financially sophisticated, yeah. right? And, you know, 10% could be $100,000 or it could be $10, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, but if I tell them that, if I say 10% and it's $10, it means something different to you if 10% is $100,000, yeah. right? So I always ask people, I say, okay, well, how much does a gallon of milk cost in percent? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody can answer that question, yeah. right? So it's like going, if I talk in dollars, they understand dollars because they spend dollars. Right. Right. So it's it's about communicating back to the person that doesn't keep up with the percentages or numbers the same way you and I do. Right. But it looks cool, though. Yeah, it does look cool. <laughs> it looks cool. You're 17%. But yeah, but that's a good point, though, because it is, again, most people, it have, maybe I have an idea where my business is. Maybe I looked at it, you know, two weeks ago, but yeah, can't spend percentages and... And if it's $10, like you said, is you know, 10%, is that $10? Is it $10,000? Is it $2 million? You're forcing them to do math. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're forcing your clients to do math. I, I don't use percentage. I don't use words like solvency or leverage or liquidity. People don't get it. Right? Yeah, you know, when I talk about liquidity, I talk about it's the speed of cash. How fast can you make something cash? Yeah. Right? And I look at their balance sheet and I go, this is water, your cash, right? That's your liquid. You've got your AR and your inventory. That could be water. That could be cash. It just takes a little time. So I call that slush. And then you got your assets, your equipment, your vehicles, those type of things. That's your ice. It can be water, but it takes a little bit of time to make it right. into water, right? So I like that's that. how I explain liquidity to people. Okay. I like it. All right. So we talked about, and we're going to probably two more things here. One, the five silent killers of cash flow being AR, AP, inventory management, expense control, and mismatched finance. And we've kind of Financing. We've kind of talked about most of those things, and but generally, how are they the five silent killers? I mean, most time because we don't listen to them, we don't pay attention. We just we, we give them an invoice, and then we wait till somebody gives me a report to say, "Oh, this guy ain't paid in sixty days," yeah. right? And then you make a call. It's silent because it just sits there, dead money, you know, in your invoices or dead money on your shelf, right? Your inventory that you've already paid the vendor, but it's sitting there, right? right? And what most people do is they don't manage the right amount of inventory. They go, oh, yeah, I just need some. I sold five more. Uh, I need to buy five more. Well, maybe you don't. You might have 200 back there if you don't know about it. Right? Exactly right. So okay. even reducing your inventory, it increases cash flow because, well, you're not taking money out of your pocket to put it back on the shelf. Right. Right. Okay. So you can also. Okay. So you got inventory. A AR, of course, is not collecting fast enough. It just kills your cash flow because it's sitting on the shelf. Yep. AP the same way, though. You could be paying too fast a lot of times and taking money out sooner than you need to. Okay. Yeah, and sorry for the background noise. We are at a trade show that uh, is starting to let out. All right, so we're going to pick back up where with uh, mismatched financing. Tell me what that is. What is mismatched financing? What does that mean? All right, so mis mismatched financing, first of all, I mean, it, it sucks 
cash out of your business in the form of extra interest. Okay. So let me explain what I mean by that. There are times when we use the wrong loan product to buy something. Okay. You know, and a good example is, you know, if you buy a house with a credit card. Yep. You know, would you do that? <laughs> Maybe not, but I get the miles. That's right. right. You definitely yep. get the miles. Yeah, you definitely get the miles. Heck, a lot of miles, right? So, <laughs> but normally we don't do that because it's sixteen percent interest yep. versus three or four, whatever the mortgage markets are right now. So here's the rule: when you talk about mismatched financing, here's the rule, right? The length of the loan should match the life of the asset. Okay. And what I mean by that is, if you can appreciate something for five to seven years, you should purchase that if you don't use cash with a five or seven year term loan. That way, when the depreciation ends, so do the payments, and it's a good time to either upgrade or just take advantage of a, of a paid asset or otherwise. Okay. But sometimes what people do, and it happened to me, is we buy something with maybe our line of credit or we put it on a credit card. Because it's easy. Because right. it's easy, right? And, and it happened to me where I took and bought a cooler from one of the restaurants. Uh, the cooler was $7,500, but I put it on a credit card and then walked away. I solved the problem at work, right? right. That's basically what I did. But then I'm sitting here paying on it, you know, at that 14, 15, 16%, where if I would have just bought it with a term loan or even called the banker to help me fix it, which is, hey, I just messed up. I bought something right. I could appreciate with my credit card. They can convert that to a term loan and bring my interest rates way down to maybe 7%, cut it in half or otherwise. So the way you fix it and keep cash from escaping the business is you use the right loan product that has less interest attached to it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. So, all right, we're gonna wrap up. Um, we've just covered the seven minute conversation pretty in depth, which again, I, I read it, I bought it. He didn't even give it to me for free, believe it or not. <laughs> I had to pay my hard earned money for this. And, uh, but it was a good book. And again, I like the way it's written because it's written for people to understand it, right? It's not written like a textbook. It's not, you know, it's it's intended to teach and, and it does that. I haven't made it to the don't be a dumb business owner. I kind of feel like I am a dumb business owner at times. <laughs> we and we dumb, all are. <laughs> yeah, and dumb being don't understand my business. So I'm, I am looking forward to diving into that. So tell us, let's wrap up with where are you now, Truly Financial? What is Truly Financial? What do you guys do? And then uh, we'll call it a wrap. Yeah, so I had a really cool opportunity, right? For the last 15 years, I've been working really with banks uh, and, of course, accountants in this group. Uh, but in the banking world, I got to really understand some of the problems that I experienced, right? And one of the problems I had was I couldn't qualify for a corporate card when those businesses were small because I didn't have the right average daily balance or okay. uh, whatever. My revenue wasn't high enough. I wasn't a big, big enough guy, right? So when you don't have a corporate card, you don't get to pay the rewards or the perks or things like that. So you guys use your debit card for everything, which means I'm paying full freight, 100% right. of everything. Well, Truly came in with a corporate card for everybody, and it pays up to 2.5% cash back on every purchase. That was one of the things that drew me to it. It was like going, wait a second, you mean I don't need an average daily balance, and I can get a discount on everything I purchase, subscriptions, gas, doesn't matter. So that was the first thing. The second thing is that the world is now a global economy. I didn't realize that when I read the book, The World is Flat, back in the early 2000s, that it was gonna to come to life, right? And he talked about the globalization of, of the world, world's economy. That's true, we can now buy from anywhere, we can do business with anybody in the world. Banking never caught up to it, right? I can't issue a card, I can't hire a chief marketing officer in Toronto and give them a spend management card because I can't issue it across the border. Truly can. I'm like, okay. okay. Because they're a global digital bank. Uh, they have a network of banks, and so the transaction occurs locally, right? So it's like right. I'm doing business in Canada, like I'm doing business in China or in the UK. 
you can hold multiple currencies in one account. And I like that because every time I did any type of foreign transaction, I was forced to do the com uh, currency conversion at the time of the transaction, regardless of what the rate was. Well, Trulu is able to solve for that by holding multiple currencies in accounts, and I control when I do the conversion. Okay. Right, so I can take pounds in or euros in and wait for the rate to be in my favor. Okay. So a lot of, a lot of things like that. The global thing, the tagline is everyday uh, local banking for small businesses globally. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I should know that. I should know that that's what you guys do. I've had exposure to the company. You and I have talked before. Sorry, at Scaling New Heights last year. We were on a webinar not too long ago. But I don't know that I had a full grasp, even though I did listen, I paid attention. I was in the background, so if I was there, um, <laughs> yeah. but that's what truly is. And that's, um, how competitive is that space? Uh, very, I mean, you yeah. see everybody's in it now, right? You've got uh, you, Brex, Relay, Ramp, I mean, uh, Jeeves. I mean, it's a very competitive space. And then even around that, you have Melio and you've got Divi. What, what truly brings the table is that they're all in one. Whereas if I get a Melio or a Divi, I still need a bank. Right. <laughs> I still need to connect it somewhere. Or I still need to get uh, Bill.com to go with Divi. Uh, so I need a payments processor. What mm -hmm. truly is, is it's cards, payments, and banking all in one. So gotcha. you get all of it in one. You don't need the extra uh, accounts. And what was really interesting this week, I don't know if you saw this or not, but Brex actually gave up on the small business market. They're going to no, close it down to all small business uh, accounts, startups, those type of things. August 15th. So oh, there's right. an opportunity there if you're a Brex customer. <laughs> right. <laughs> Love to talk to you. You're here at booth number uh, 12. We're, we're happy. <laughs> happy well, I had not read that. That's yeah. very interesting. So good opportunity for you. Yeah. And then, um, so, but what those other guys don't have, they don't have cash flow mic. They don't have right? cash flow They don't mic, have yeah. cash flow mic. Yeah. So I certainly appreciate you taking some time, uh, talk about your books. Talk about what you're doing now. So well, I love what you guys are doing. I've been a longtime fan. Good, thank uh, you. And I want to continue to build this relationship. And if you're not a bigger part of an insightful accountant, be so. You should Join be. up, subscribe, you know, there we go. And, and participate with them. We absolutely appreciate that. And that will wrap it up for today. I'm Gary Dehart with Insightful Accountant. This is another episode of Accounting Insiders with my guest, Cashflow Mike. Thanks, Thanks for Gary. joining us.